This weekend, we're going to look at four prominent um, people in the New Testament during the time that Jesus was born, slash four groups of people. And we're going to see um, uh, their responses to Jesus. Because we all have different responses to who Jesus is, to what Jesus has done. But before we get to these four people or these four groups of people, um, I want to show you a video clip that kind of gives a little context to the whole Christmas story. And it's from a, um, a ministry company called uh, The Bible Project. And so I thought to set things up, what we would do is show you this video here. It gives a little context. Here it is. The Gospel of Luke. Luke investigated many of the earliest eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and then composed this account. And the story begins up in the hills of Jerusalem, the place where Israel's ancient prophets said that God himself would come one day to establish his kingdom over all the earth. In the city is the temple run by the priests. And one of them, named Zechariah, was working in the temple when he had a vision that freaks him out. An angel appears and says that he and his wife will have a son. What's this all about? Well, Zechariah and his wife, we're told, are very old. They've never been able to have children. And Luke's setting up a parallel here with Abraham and Sarah, the great ancestors of Israel, because they too were very old and could never have kids. Yet God gave them a son, Isaac, which is how the whole story of Israel began. And so Luke's implying here that God's about to do something that significant for this people once again. The angel tells Zechariah to name the son John. And then he says that this son's going to fulfill a promise of Israel's ancient prophets, that somebody would come one day to prepare Israel to meet their God when he arrived to rule in Jerusalem. Because right now, Jerusalem is ruled by the Romans. Yeah, specifically, it's governed by a man named Herod, who's a puppet king under the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people wanted nothing more than to be free and govern themselves in their own land. So this is shocking news. Everything's gonna change. God's on his way, but how is he going to arrive? Well, to find out, Luke takes us out of Jerusalem and then up into a small town in the hills of an out-of-the-way region called Galilee. And there we find a young woman named Mariam, or we call her Mary. She was engaged to be married. And then an angel appears to Mary saying that she's going to have a son. She's supposed to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he will be a king like David who will rule over God's people forever. And then Mary asks, okay, well, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And she's told that the same Holy Spirit that brought life and light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is going to generate life inside her womb. God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception and the birth of the Messiah. And so Mary goes from some backwoods no-name girl to the future mother of the king? Exactly. In fact, she sings a song about how this reversal of her own social status points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. So when Mary was really pregnant, she and her fiancé, Joseph, had to go down to Bethlehem. Yeah, there was a decree across the Roman Empire about new taxes, and so everybody had to go get registered in the town of their family line. There were so many visitors in Bethlehem, they can't find a guest room. And so the only place they can find is a spot where animals sleep. Now nearby were some shepherds with their flocks, and an angel appears, which, of course, freaks them out. 
But they're told to celebrate because tonight in Bethlehem, a savior has been born. Yeah, they're told to go and find this baby and they'll know that it's the Messiah because he's going to be wrapped up and laying in a grimy feeding trough. Yeah, which is pretty gross. Totally. And then these shepherds who aren't very clean themselves, they go and find the newborn Jesus in this really dingy place and their minds are blown. They go home wondering what on earth is about to happen. And this is all really strange. I mean, if God's really coming to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to arrive. Born in an animal shelter to a teenage girl, celebrated by no-name shepherds. Exactly. I mean, everything is backwards in Luke's story, and that's the point. He is showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor, because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. So it gives you a little context, uh, the, the story of Christmas, and hopefully a different perspective that maybe you, we haven't really pondered before. And, uh, and so we're going to look at uh, this passage in Luke, and we're going to look at a passage in Matthew, and we're going to be introduced to four different characters. And what I hope we will do is that we will see what their responses are to the Christmas story. See what their responses are to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. And then once we see their responses, I hope that we could have some, some time to self-reflect and to be honest with ourselves and, and for us to ask ourselves the question, what is my response? And how do I identify with these four characters or these four groups in the New Testament and how they responded to Jesus. And, and, and so what we're going to do, uh, we're going to see that Matthew, we're going to read Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 to 12, and then right after that we're going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. So let's go to Luke or Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them in Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, 
they return to their country by another route. So now we're going to go to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 uh, and, and the 38, and we're going to read the, the, the birth of Jesus story. Now, just to, for, the, for context's sake here, when Jesus was born, the shepherds were there. And then sometimes up to two years later is when the Magi came. So now we're kind of going maybe a year, maybe two years back now as we read the birth of the story. So the shepherds were at the birth, and then sometime later the magi or the wise men were, were uh, uh, visited Jesus when he was up to two years of age. And, uh, and, uh, and we know that for a couple reasons. One is it says that King Herod issued a decree um, to kill uh, uh, boys two years of age and younger. And then we learned that they didn't go to this stable, to this barn, to this inn. They didn't go there, but they went to a house. And so, uh, so as we read Luke, we're reading the birth story here of, of Mary, and we're going to see how Mary responds. So let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's look at first Mary's response. Because Mary's response is very, very interesting. We must remember that Mary was a young girl, maybe 14. You know, scholars have different ideas, but she was young. She was engaged to Joseph, who was probably three, four, five years older. And so she's a young girl, born in a, in a poor city, living in a poor city, but the Lord chose her to be the one who would give birth to the Savior of the world. Just imagine for a moment being Mary. What, what's going on in our minds? What's going on in, in, our, in our souls? Are we scared? Are we nervous? Are we anxious? Think about what she's thinking. Think about in her mind, does she measure up? Maybe she's thinking. Is she good enough? Is she thinking? What are the different things that she's thinking in her mind as a young girl about to give birth to Jesus? And then... She's telling people this story. 
I haven't been with any man. I know I'm pregnant, but God is all part of God's plan. There may have been times she was embarrassed. There may have been times that she felt shame. But you know what's wonderful about Mary? Is that she, when the angel came to her, said, if that's what the Lord wants, so it shall be. She had such a gentle and humble and honoring uh, soul about her. But then just imagine her being the first-time mom. For all the moms out here and grandmas, you remember being a first-time mom? That's scary, isn't it? You know, you got everything going on. You're like, what's going on? And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, like, like you know, when, you know like when you give birth to a, a child? I mean, I've been there. I didn't give birth, but I've been there three times, by the way, and never mind. All right. So, 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 uh, and, and then, and then when, when you're there, everyone wants to come. And they want to come see the baby. But you don't want everybody there, especially your first child. You know your first child? You're like, you're keeping them inside for like a year because you don't want them to get any germs. And then you don't want people touching them, sneezing on them, and you're very careful. But then right after Jesus is born, and plus you want your privacy, right? You know, you just gave birth, you're exhausted, you're tired, your hair's messed up, no makeup was on. I need my space. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? Maybe not? Okay, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to move on. So, but, but right after the birth of Jesus, shepherds come. I don't know, like the, the human side of me would be like, what are they doing here? <laughs> but there was something magical about that moment. Because she was able to recognize that God was in the midst of doing something powerful. God was in the midst of turning the world upside down. And she was just so um, honored that God would use her. And so as we think about Mary... Mary's response, Mary was at times scared to be the one to bring the Son of God into the world, but she gladly and humbly accepted what God asked of her. Look, think about Mary's response. What has God asked of you? What is God calling you to do? Is it something that's scary? Is it something that's out of your comfort zone? And then, and then if it is, do we, do we humbly say, Lord, by your power, I could do this. Or do we shy away and say, no, I can't do this. I'm not going to do it. But Mary's response was such a great response for all of us to glean from and to learn from. Then the kind of the opposite response is the religious leaders. So we move from Mary and then we go to the religious leaders. In Matthew chapter 2, we, in verse 4, we read that Herod from the Magi, uh, uh, Herod heard from the Magi that Christ had been born and he gathered together the Jewish leaders and he asked the Jewish leaders, the, the scribes and the chief priests, where is this Messiah going to be born? And they knew it off the top of their heads. They said in Bethlehem in the area of Judea. It was like prophesied about thousands of years. Everyone knew about this prophecy of the Messiah. Off the top of their head, they were able to tell the king that this was where the Savior would be born. They knew where he was going to be born. But we don't see any indication that they went to go see Jesus. They knew it in their heads. They had the intellectual reasoning, but they didn't go 
and see Jesus. And there may have been a whole bunch of reasons for that. But the bottom line is they didn't go see Jesus. They knew the right answers. They knew the right answers about Jesus, but they were indifferent about going and seeing Jesus. They're like, yeah, he's born in Bethlehem, but uh, I got better things going on. Now, just on a side note, it's easy to look at these religious leaders and, and say how horrific they are and how bad they were and how horrible they were and how insensitive they were. And they were all of those. But it's also good for us to do self-reflection and see how do we measure up when it comes to these religious leaders. Have we ever been like them? Have we ever judged anyone unfairly? Have we ever uh, uh, felt indifferent toward Jesus? Like, yeah, Jesus, he's all right. Have we ever done something just to get praise and recognition for ourselves? Or have we ever thought that we were better than others? These are the attitudes and mindsets that the religious leaders had. But have we ever had those attitudes? I have. So the religious leader's response the religious leader's biggest reactions, as described in the chief priests, was indifference. Their biggest response was, eh, he's all right. Eh, I don't want to go see him. The religious leader's biggest response was indifference. Now we go to King Herod. As I said there, King Herod was like this puppet king of the Roman Empire. And, and uh, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 8 it says that the Magi, uh, he sent Magi to Bethlehem. And then he says uh, in verse 8, he says, go and search for them carefully. Go and search for this king who was born in Bethlehem carefully because I want to go and worship him. Now we know that that's not what he wanted to do. He had ulterior motives because here Jesus being born a king was a threat to him being the king of that area. That was a threat. And so he wanted nothing to do with it. So he came up with this ruse. He came up with this problem. He came up with this solution that if he could go worship the, 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 the boy Jesus, that then... He could find him, and he wanted him killed. And so we look at Herod, and he has something much more in store for Jesus. He didn't want to go worship him. He didn't want any of that as, as well. He lied to the, magi, to the magi, to the wise men, in order to get to Jesus. But, but, but Herod's response, because he wanted to kill Jesus, Herod's response was hatred and hostility. Hatred and hostility. Now, we may not have hatred and hostility toward Jesus, but are we like Herod in other areas where there's some insecurities in us, and so we might, we might try, to, try to project onto other people? Herod hated the fact that Jesus could possibly change how the power status was done in his area. And, and chances are, like I was saying, most of us, you know, are not going to have this hostility. But have we ever claimed 
the name of Jesus just to get something? Have we ever invoked Jesus' name just to get something or, or to get in good with someone? Uh, in other words, have we ever used the name of Jesus in a selfish manner? Herod was only looking out for his interests. Herod, Herod didn't want to go worship Jesus. He was only looking out for himself. And so do you and I ever only just look out for ourselves? Or are we able to see the needs of the others around us? Herod was only looking out for himself. And his response was, was hatred and hostility. Then we have the magi, the wise men. And, and the wise men, the magi, their response was multifaceted. I, 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 mean, I mean, the first thing that, that, that we see about them is that in Matthew chapter 2, they saw a star in verse 10, and they rejoice. They saw, saw this star in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 2, and they rejoiced because they knew they were going to go see the Savior, the Messiah, the one who was prophesied. Now, check this out. It wasn't like they saw the star and they were like, oh, well, I guess we should go see Jesus. They saw the star that they knew would lead them to the birth of Jesus, to, 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 to where Jesus was, you know, this young boy Jesus. They saw the star, and they were excited. They were elated. They couldn't wait to get to Jesus. Are we like that, where we just can't wait to get to Jesus? Where we can't just, we can't wait to, to, for his spirit to come into our lives. Where we just can't wait to Jesus to show us something, to teach us something. They were so excited about Jesus. Do we get so excited about reading his word? Because the more we read his word, the more we learn about what God wants from us. And how God loves us. And how God uh, 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 just desires a relationship with us. So they came and they were rejoicing. But we also see that, in, in the, that they, when they came, they came with humility. They came with humility. Because when they came, these wise men, however many there were, they brought these gifts. They came to the boy Jesus, and they kneeled before him. I think one of the most humbling acts any one of us could possibly do, well, there's lots of them, but one of them is wash someone's feet, like literally wash someone's feet. Because that is a way of elevating others and washing their feet. And that's what Jesus did before he went to the cross. He was a servant. And Jesus said he came to serve. And here these wise men are coming. And they came with a humble heart. And when we want to worship Jesus, we come to Jesus with a humble heart, realizing that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He has always been. We come to him knowing that he's in charge and we're not. That's what it means to worship the Lord, to come to Jesus with a humble heart. And that's what the Magi did, these wise men from the east. So they came rejoicing. They came with humility. And they came with gifts. These wise men were generous. In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, Then opening their treasures, they presented to Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
they knelt before Jesus and they presented Jesus with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were well-respected men, well-respected people. As we think about the Magi, think about people who wanted so desperately to know God that they traveled many, many miles. And then what we see from the Magi is that they obeyed because shortly after that, in a dream, they were told, hey, King Herod is really trying to kill you. Go back to your land in a different way. So they went back in a different way. They obeyed. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. So we have different responses. We have the response of Mary. And Mary was gladly and humbly accepted what God asked of her. We have the response of the religious leaders. And their response was indifference. And we have Herod's response of hatred and hostility. That everything was in it for himself, for his own gain. And then we have the Magi's response, which was worship, humility, obedience, and generosity. Everybody in the biblical story here, everybody in the Christmas story had a choice to make. Now, I want you to just think about this. And as you think about this, I want to unbox our Christmas box today. You ready for the Christmas gift of the unboxing? Hmm, which gift should I open? Oh, that's right, the one that's different than all the others. <laughs> Same box, different gift. So, we all have choices to make, right? Just like all these individuals here, these groups here, they had choices to make. What were they going to choose about who they think Jesus is? What, what were they going to choose in terms of their actions and how are they going to treat Jesus and, and so forth? And so, so I thought I'd give all of you a choice tonight. You get to choose of one of these gifts. The first one is a wallet. Louis Vuitton, is that her thing? I think I heard that once. I don't know anything like about fancy stuff. But in this wallet is $500. Oh, you think I'm lying? 100? 200? What's Monopoly money? 300? 400? $500, all right? So you could choose this beautiful Louis Vuitton. Is, that is a thing, right? Is that a girl? Like a, I don't, okay. But a fancy wallet. I don't know what it is. But for $500 in it. Or you could choose the perfect gift. It says the perfect gift. That's why I know it's a perfect gift. This is the gift. You know the gift that you haven't got your loved one yet? This is it. The perfect gift. Wrapped and everything. You could choose that. Or you could choose this timeshare. And it says, to another paradise, since we live in paradise. And, uh, and this timeshare is good for anything, anywhere you go. Uh, but anywhere but Hawaii is a different, different paradise. So you have to choose. It's a silly illustration, I know. So there we go. We have $500 in a wallet. Bam. It's yours. The perfect gift or timeshare. I'm just kind of curious. Pick one in your mind. In your mind. Pick one. Pick one. I know which one you're all choosing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. How many of you picking the wallet with the $500 in it? All right. 
One, two. All right, okay. How many of you are going to choose the perfect gift? The perfect gift. All right, a lot more of you. All right, and who wants to timeshare to another paradise? All right. These are people who have lived on island their whole lives. <laughs> All right, so, so these are your choices here. And afterwards, you could come collect your prize. Just kidding, I need it for Sunday. <laughs> and they're just empty boxes and monopoly money. But with all of that, I, I say that's just a simple, silly illustration about we all have a choice to make. These characters here, and the band could come on this note, these characters, these groups, these people that really existed, that we have a written account of, they had a choice to make. Some of them made great choice about who Jesus was. Mary was humbly and honored to be called by Jesus. And she says, yes, Lord, if it's your will, I will do that, even though she was scared. The religious leaders, they were just indifferent. Eh, well, uh, I don't know, who cares? That's not the best response because the Lord wants all of us. Then we have Herod. Herod was all in it for himself, his status, his pride, his clout, him, him, him. His pronouns all wrong. It was all about himself, not about others. And he hated Jesus. And then we have the Magi, the wise men who came humbly, who came with obedience, who came generously, who came with love, who came wanting to serve others, who came wanting to worship Jesus, who came with excitement. These are the, 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 these are the characters that the wise men have. So as we look at these four, the choices they made on how they were going to respond to Jesus, which one do we identify with more? Or do, do you identify with a mixture of the religious leaders and Mary or maybe a mixture of the Magi and Herod or, you know, we might be a little bit of everyone. The point of all of this is this, is that when we read the Word of God, when we uh, hear a message about Jesus, what we want to do is learn from it and then apply it into our lives. Because it's not like we're going to hear one message or read one passage in the Bible and then all of a sudden everything's all better. And we're 100% we're perfect. No, it takes time. And so maybe there's an area in our lives that we know we need to work on. And maybe tonight's the night where we work on that. And we make the wise choice of living for our Creator in a humble and honoring way. And let's choose tonight Jesus. Because when we choose Jesus, He gives us joy. Joy that is forever. And we have that joy that's forever because God sent His Son for us. Regardless of our response, let's choose joy because God sent his son, Jesus. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we have eternal life with him forever. Amen? All right, let's stand together.